Welcome to another exciting message from Journey Church, meeting weekly in Northwest Calgary. At Journey Church, we're encountering God and embracing people. us of two things. It informs us of where we are and, and who he is. It may not always tell us where we are headed, um, but what we do know is that he is good, that he is faithful, and that he is kind. And um, I believe today as we dive into Psalms, as we continue on on our Tune In series, uh, that God has something very specific for you. I, I honor you for taking uh, one of the very few Sundays that are very nice outside to spend time with us. And um, Man, I'm just really, really, really excited. I know you could tell, um, <laughs> but it's going to be good. Um, thank you for your prayers. Uh, for those of you who have invested into the lives of students and have been praying for us as we've been away at youth camp, uh, we just experienced another incredible week of God moving and speaking. Um, on Tuesday night, I got to witness in a service uh, 20 different students who claimed healing in their bodies, whether it was their mind or a physical healing, everything from a hand being healed in the middle of worship to scoliosis being corrected, and a girl who was prayed for the S curve in her spine was, yeah, that's, it was straight. And lots of different things, lots of different healing and freedom, uh, past brokenness, whether it was self-induced or brought upon by somebody uh, who was trusted. There were a lot of incredible testimonies. Uh, two of our students right here at this church were baptized in the lake this week, just professing their love for God and what he's doing in their life. That's, that's worth applauding. It is. I, I want to tell you today that God still speaks. He still speaks, and I, I'm, I'm hyped, although physically I'm not. My spirit is so excited just that God is still speaking. Like, he actually is still moving in incredible power. And as I was driving up today thinking about this message, uh, what I was reminded of is that Paul, when he's communicating to the Corinthian church, he says, it's not about talk. The kingdom of heaven is not about talk. We can, we can have as many coffees as we want. We can chat about our favorite books. We can lean into podcasts, and it's awesome. We can encourage each other through social media. But unless we see the power of God move, then it is absolutely wasteful. And Paul encourages us, and we're going to look at David again today, that, that the kingdom of heaven is actually about power. Now, how many of you would say that you need some power in your life? You need God to move in an incredible way that, that you're tired of talking about it. You're tired of journaling about the things that you need God to do. You actually just need him to show up in a moment. You're, like, you, you're tired of singing the songs. You're, you're tired of setting up the prayer chains. You actually just are waiting so desperately for God to move in power so that you not move on from those prayers, but you can actually hold on to them and say he answered. How many of you need power in your life this morning? I believe some of you are going to receive that today. And uh, I want to reiterate that you are here. Last week we preached, I, I preached, you didn't preach, you, some of you did. Um, in your head, you're like, that's not what it meant. And I was like, that's okay. Last week I preached 
on the first acrostic poem that David used uh, in Psalms. And, and what he did in his leisure is he took a form of what he was used to. He took his passion of art uh, through words. And, and what he did was he, he wrote from A to Z in the Hebrew alphabet a lovely prayer. A lovely profession of who God was and who he and who David in himself wasn't. And, and we talked about how prayer is significant and how we pray matters. We talked about profession and we talked about uh, posture, like putting ourselves in a position to hear from God and so that we could profess and declare uh, his goodness and that we could petition and believe for the things that we are longing for so desperately. And today I want to talk about worship. Worship. How many of you love worship? Anybody? Can we just put our hands together for the worship team as Abel and them led us so well today? Last week, we learned prayer out of the posture of leisure. David was just hanging out, and he was writing. The overflow of his relationship with God, the overflow of experience with God was encouraging himself. And, and it's important that we encourage ourselves in the Lord. It's important that we take a look at scripture, but more importantly that we take a look at the moments that we've had with God along the way to encourage us that we are not alone. We might feel lonely, but we're never alone. He is always with us. The Bible tells us that greater is he in us than he who is in the world. And so there's something significant when we can in ourselves encourage ourselves. Well, I don't encourage myself on my ability or my disability. Right? What I do is I say, God, because of your spirit that lives within me and because of the collection of moments that I've had up to this point, I'm going to draw on those things as I ponder and reflect on your goodness. And in that moment, what it does is it gives me courage for the present. In that moment, what it does is it gives me hope for the future. And as I continue to do that, in the worshipful sense, it's more than the, the songs we listen to, the songs that we sing. As we focus on God, as we put him at the center of our attention and our affection, we are moved into what is in front of us and what will be ahead of us. And David, what he does is he takes this acrostic poem form that he was doing in his leisure, and now all of a sudden, in the moment of stress, he goes back to it. Psalm 34 is a beautiful one. It's a lot of songs have been written about it. Come on, how many of you have been encouraged by Psalm 34 before? Anybody? Anyone? Okay, a few of you. We're going to read it together in just a moment. But here's the background of it. David is just doing what God has asked him to do. He's just showing up. We, we see as a young man he is called uh, to be a leader in God's kingdom Right? His family notices in a moment, even though they've discarded him and forgot him in a field, that the prophet of God has showed up and has anointed David to be a leader one day. We see that he one time listens to his dad. Hey, young people, if you want to be all that God has called you to be, you want to walk into the promise that God has for you, be obedient to your parents. There's blessing in it. And he's in a field and his brothers are off at war. And the Bible tells us that Jesse, David's dad, says, hey, son, I need you to go and bring lunch to your brothers. And he brings a big wheel of cheese. How many of you would love that gift, right? It's just at work and someone just brings you a big wheel of cheese. He brings him cheese and bread. And as he shows up, just doing the little thing that his dad asked him to do, he notices that there's a whole army that is trembling in fear. And as he looks a little further and he inquires, and he says, why are my people shaken? Why are they so frustrated? Why are they so afraid? He notices that there is a giant on the other side of the valley. And, and everybody would say, yeah, that's probably reasonable. David, confident in his moments of the quiet 
of his life, off in the field all by himself, remembering that he might have been lonely, but he was never alone, begins to draw on the experience that he has had with God. And he says, hey, I'm not afraid of no giant. I've killed a lion. I've killed a bear. And I'm going to take this head. I'm going to go and get this thing out of our way because there's a promise on our land. There is a promise for our people. And I am confident that God is with us and we are going to have victory. And so he goes and he throws the stone. You remember the story, right? He knocks out this evil force, this thing that is stifling a move of God for his people. And the Bible tells us that he walks up and he cuts the head off. It's a little gruesome. We sing about it, though, so it's okay. He takes Goliath's sword, this thing that was designed to destroy him. He then takes and destroys the destroyer. Do you think about that for a moment? Some of you are going through significant trials. Some of you are facing incredible opposition. And you're wondering, where is the victory going to come from? Hey, can I tell you this? If you draw on the confidence of God as you walk with him in incredible strength, the thing that, this, that Satan has used to, to tr- oppress you and to try and destroy you, I believe that God wants to redeem. He wants to put it in your hand, and there's going to be incredible victory through that thing. The Bible tells us is that what the Satan meant for harm, God meant for good. How many of you are thankful for a redeeming God this morning? And so he hands his sword over and he continues to, to lead as the Lord sees fit. And, and the king of the land starts getting a little jealous. And Saul's upset and frustrated. The Bible tells us that he is so far out of the will of God that God allows an evil spirit to begin to torment him. And, and David, just doing what he believed God had asked him to do, he just showed up and brought lunch. He just threw a stone because no one else would. He begins to experience incredible victory. The Bible tells us that everything that he was doing because he was listening to God was blessed and wise. And Saul is jealous. They're singing songs like, man, Saul could put 1,000 to flight. Like, Saul's an incredible warrior. He's, he's the man. But, but David could put 10. Like, there's something special about this young man. And Saul begins to throw spears at this young guy. And he even threatens to kill his own son for befriending David. How many of you have ever felt oppressed that there's something against you in life? For David, it was his king. It was his father-in-law. Go figure, right? <laughs> we usually hear about that being the mother-in-law, but I, I don't know. <laughs> and so he goes on the run. He's on the run. Hey, I have a promise from God. But my king doesn't want me. I have victory in history, but, but my people are against me. I don't know why I'm in this situation, but God, I'm going to run to the place that I know. And so he goes to find the priest, and, and, and in his searching, he asks, I need a weapon. I need a weapon. And the priest says, well, buddy, all we have is the sword that you gave us from Goliath. And David's like, man, that's, that's the best weapon ever. There's nothing like it. And so he, he, he takes back the, the sword to remind him of the victory that he had. And he begins to go to different cities. And the Bible tells us that he gets to one city. And King Abimelech is wondering who this young man is. And, and David's trying to take refuge. And the king finds out that this is the guy who kills Philistines. And he wants nothing to do with it. So David is at the city gates. He's claiming refugee status. The king is like, isn't this the dude that Saul's trying to kill? Saul is going to come here and he's going to burn the city down. No, you can't stay here. 
right? More than that, David begins to get fearful, and he's wondering, now that they know who I am, uh, they might trap me. And so he starts to drool and spit and convulse. I don't know if you've ever gotten out of a situation and what it looked like, but the Bible tells us that David has drool and spit in his beard. He's like doing everything that he can to avoid being caught so that he can't be limited in the thing that he's called to. But he's on the run, and so he goes from there into a cave, and that's where we get this incredible poem, this incredible song of worship, this thing that has encouraged so many of us for so long. And if you're unaware of this, it's all good, welcome. If you've never heard it before, then this is for you too. And um, let's be encouraged by the words of a man on the run. Does that sound good? Awesome. Psalm 34 says this, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name forever. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fears him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. Amen. So many encouraging tidbits there. But what I love is that this overflow of David's intimacy with God, the history, the catalog of God's faithfulness is what is rescuing him in an incredibly desperate moment. All he has is the reminder of God's faithfulness in the sword that he is carrying and the things that he has treasured in his heart. He has no army. He has no bounty. There is no treasure chest of weapons and riches that he could draw on. All we know is that he has been denied refugee status. He is in a cave all by himself, and all he can do is draw on the things that he had pulled on and developed before he got there. I want to encourage you to develop a habit of worship in your life. This is what I firmly believe. Worship will not save you. A habit of worship will not save you, but it will help. 
There are certain things that we need to cultivate in our spaces before we need them so that we can draw on them. Come on, we, we're very aware of this. How many of you do banking, right? Two, two of us, the, the treasurer of, thank you. You know what it looks like. You can't withdraw something that you have not placed in. You have not deposited. And so David, what he isn't able to do is to get excited. He's not able to drum up a band and have himself encouraged. What he can only do is rely on the things that he had already previously done. And because he has that, he's able to, to sing praise. He's, he's on the run. It's, it's only a few days ago that a spear was flying by his head. There was a king and one of the greatest armies ever pursuing him. People are afraid of him. He's just doing what he's supposed to do. And all of a sudden, it seems like the tables have turned, yet he still worships. You are here. Again, I don't know what brought you here. I don't know what has driven you to the place that you believe that on a Sunday morning in July, rather than being at Stampede or in the mountains or in bed with breakfast, has brought you here. I don't know what you are here for, but I believe that God wants to make a transaction. And it's nothing to do with your merit, but I believe that your faith, he wants to honor it today. We all walk with pain. We all walk with limbs. We all come to the altar with something. And what I love is that God, regardless of who we are and what we are doing, is that the Bible tells us there's a deposit made in us by him that he wants to bring to life. He wants it to bubble to the surface. And I believe that it's in worship that we not only encourage ourselves, but it motivates us to encourage others as well. What I love about the kingdom of God is that there's no time to wallow. Because the Bible says that the victory has already been won. Jesus has already paid for the things that are needed to be paid for. What I love is that the gospel tells me is that he died so I don't have to. And so that gives me great courage in my discouragement that regardless of the weight of what it is that I feel like I'm in, if I worship, I will begin to access the things that he has for me. In advance, that he deposited, there's nothing to do with it. And you're here. You're here today. You've said, Holy Spirit, I, I, I trust that you're going to do something. Some of you have said, I don't know, Jesus, if I can trust you, but I'm going to try. And I believe he wants to honor that. But I need to tell you that your life is so much more than just your own. And David, he finds himself in this cave and he thinks he's alone. He's lonely. He knows that he's not alone, but he's by himself. So he thinks, but there is always an audience for your life. There is always an audience for your life. David begins to learn quickly that in this cave, he's not the only one on the run. He's not the only one on the run. He's not the only one who's discouraged. He's not the only one who's disenfranchised. He's not the only one who's been wronged. The Bible tells us that there are a bunch of men from various cities that are in debt and on the run, afraid for their lives. And so David, as he's carrying, again, the reminder of his pre previous victory, a testament of God's faithfulness in his life, he shows up and begins to collect some friends. How many of you are thankful for friends? What I believe is it's more than just about friendship. I believe that there's an incredible amount of leadership on your life. And yes, friends are important, and, our, and choosing our friends is important. Having the right friends is so important. But the influence that we're supposed to have in the circles that we are called to has to outweigh the likes that we get on social media. 
Like the, the influence that we have on the lives that we are surrounded by has to be more significant than just good moments and memories, a few good laughs. The kingdom of heaven has invited us to be in situations regardless of our status and our status. Those are the same things, but it sounded good. <laughs> to influence, to take the things inside of us treasured and stored and to communicate them with our mouths in a way that not only encourages our own spirit, but actually leads people to incredible amount of freedom. It's why worship songs are so powerful because young men and women and old men and old women all around this world have spent time in private and have exposed the journals of their life to us. And we are encouraged by that. But you can't just live in the songs of others to get you to where you need to go. You need to develop a song for your life. There has to be a proclamation that you make to encourage others as well. It is more than coming and listening to preaching and tuning in to what the church is doing. You all have significant influence and you have all been called to incredible capacities of leadership as the Lord has seen fit. He wants to do something in you so that he can do something through you. You don't always get to pick the people that you lead, but you must lead nonetheless. The workplace that you have been put in you were called to lead there. And when the stress of production happens and the frustration of interpersonal relationships and as you carry things there from home, the frustrations of life, in all of those things, as you are frustrated and on the run in whatever way it looks like, if you can't go to the place that you are put in to lead with worship in your heart and on your tongue, then you are not going to lead people to the kingdom of heaven. You're going to lead them further away from it. And you may be the only spokesperson for Jesus that those people might ever meet. And your declaration and your behavior must indicate that you are confident in a God that is so much greater that whether you are in the field or you're at the front of the battle, whether you're on the shoulders being celebrated or you're hiding in a cave from spears, that you are confident in him, not yourself. They will never, ever find the hope that they are looking for. They are begging you to show up. There's an audience for your life. Again, what you do before the cave will help you lead within the cave. It will lead you through the cave. What I love about these men that we learn about in Samuel that David runs into is that although they are broke and disenfranchised and on the run, because of his leadership, because of this song and songs like it, because of the way that he behaved, the Bible tells us that those people go on to be mighty men. And not just like they're mighty, but they actually go on to do great exploits for the kingdom of God. I don't know if you've ever read Judges, but there's some incredible stories. Like there's this one man, and his name slips my mind right now because I didn't put it in my notes. But the Bible tells us that he is given a responsibility to fight for the kingdom. And so they're no longer in the cave. They have incredible moments with God and with David, and David is now king. He's not in the cave anymore. He is now king. And because of his confidence in, the, in David in the cave, he gives his life to the service of the kingdom. And the Bible says that a great enemy comes to them, and they are guarding a field of lentils. Now, I don't know how much you like soup, but I'm, I'm sure I wouldn't fight for a, a field of lentils. Like, you can have it. And it says that the army of God runs away. The children of Israel, they run away. 
It says this man doesn't. Hey, this is the guy that was in debt, that was on the run for his life, who didn't believe in himself. But a man showed up one day in a place that he didn't know he was looking for. And what he did was he worshipped and he led well. And it gave this man courage. And it gave this man character. And it gave this man a sense of willpower to, to stand up and to become what he never believed what he, that he could be. And it says that although the army has run away, he gets his staff and he stands in the middle of a lentil field and says, I don't care if no one else will fight, I will. I don't care if the enemy comes to take what is mine. I'm going to fight, and I'll fight to the death, but I'm confident that what God has done in that cave is going to lead me in this moment too. And not only is this my victory, this is the victory for my people. I will fight. I will stand here. And David's ability to worship in a cave allows men like this to stand up and worship in the fields when they're all by themselves because they are confident that God will help them in the desperate times that they have, in their greatest moments of need. You have to develop, I have to develop a habit of worship and thanksgiving before I need it. Because when I'm not able to focus in temptation, when I'm not able to focus in pain, when I'm not able to focus when stuff gets tough, I find that I fail more often than not because my Mind isn't focused on the right thing. I'm worried about my surroundings rather than my history with God. When you develop a habit of worship, it allows you to become prophetic instead of paralyzed. Rather than being gripped by fear and begging for an answer, you have the ability to speak life and hope into the situation that you're called into. Not just, again, for ourselves, but for you. My question this morning is what has you on the run? In whatever way that you are running, what, what has you on the run? Is it fear? Is it disappointment? Is it discouragement? Is there a promise that you're waiting for that you just don't seem to be able to get a grip on? Are there moments that haunt you of who you were? I want to let you know that sometimes the cave, it seems scary, but what it does is it provides an incredible lens for God's work to happen in our lives. What I love is that although we might be on the run, that he is right there with us. Regardless of where I find myself, the Bible says that he is there and I'm not out of reach of his arm to save. What has you on the run today? We all have something, if not more than one thing. I want to encourage you today that if you develop a habit of worship, to have a developed sense of who God is, if you can take your attention and put it on the cross, remind yourself that he died so you don't have to, you, you can get through it. You will overcome it. And I encourage you to curate and think through, what swords do I carry from my past battles? I might have scars, but I have swords. I might have frustrations, but I have swords. I, I might have, but I have. Focus on what God has done so that you can focus on what he wants to do. And change your posture from a, a place of desperate fear into desperate expectation. Because there is a deliverer and his name is Jesus. What's the anthem of your life? Do you have an anthem for your life? I know Pastor Jess, the first week, she played a couple songs before she came up. It was really cool. And 
We all wanted to copy her, but we don't. Because that's biting, and we don't bite. But what is the anthem for your life? When you're frustrated, when you're broken, what is your mantra? What I love about God is that we don't have to conjure. We don't bang drums and, and make chants. Uh, we, we, we don't have to do dances for him to move. I love that. The Bible tells us that no other God could move in significant ways like that because they don't exist. They're dead. Elijah, he's standing on a mountain. It says that he prays a simple prayer. Now, the prophets of Baal are cutting themselves, they're bleeding, they're naked and chanting and dancing and doing ridiculous things. There's 400 of them in the hope that their God would move. And nothing happens. And Elijah says a simple prayer and fire from heaven falls. Because he's in relationship, in conversation. I believe that he had insight that God said, hey, this is what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to do it. And I guarantee you I will show up because I, I, I just do that. Some of us drum up things. We, we have a certain walk at a certain pace to a certain song. Or, and we hope that God is going to move. And he only speaks to me in the mountains. Or he only speaks to me while I'm driving. And, and I need, I need, I need. And the anthem of our lives becomes convoluted. And what ends up happening is that God can't speak to or through it because we're not actually focused on him. We're focused on ourselves. One of my favorite songs, Abel sang it today, is I Will Look Up. There was a season of my life where I went through significant pain. I was going through a transition in ministry. Uh, I had a failed marriage proposal. I was living in a city all by myself. I was far away from home. I became uh, very dependent on medication because in my sickness, the only way I could, well, get whole or get sleep was through this medication. And I found myself in a basement apartment in Ontario feeling like a fraud, feeling so far away from the design that God called me to. Thinking, how am I going to get up and lead my students tonight? How, who, who am I that God would still choose to do life with me in this cave? But what I love about God is that, yes, he is a rescuer, but more than that, he used the caves in our life to build us and heal us and prepare us and launch us. And what you think is a prison isn't. It's actually just a place of preparation that he is willing to use if you allow him. If you begin to look around where you are and say, God, where are you and what are you saying in this? He can take that moment that you feel like there is no hope and there's nothing left for you. And he can begin to give you a song. He can begin to give you a thought. He can bring, the Bible says the Holy Spirit brings things back to our remembrance. He's going to show you those past victories. He's going to show you that he has a calling on your life. He's going to remind you of that worship song that instead of you going to whatever it is that you go to can encourage and help you. And I remember being in this basement and thinking, God, what can I do? And he says, look up. Look up. Calvin, do you remember that time you flew over to Vancouver for the first time on a flight? And when you were above the clouds, it was beautiful and it was clear and you had so much perspective and so much peace. It was the first time I had looked out of a plane and I was looking out from the window seat because it was blessed. I didn't even have to pick it. They picked it for me. I'm looking out and it's beautiful. It's the first time I'd ever seen mountains. I couldn't believe it. Participating in the miracle of flight. Stop complaining that the pretzels were too salty. Like, look, look what I'm looking at. 
And I remember as we descended, we came through a storm. And we landed, and it was rainy, and it was garbage, and I never wanted to go back. It was a terrible week. But what he taught me in that moment, that there's no rain above the clouds in the precipitation piece. Like the vantage point where he looks from, even though he's with us, he's also there in what we think is just a storm and is a crappy moment or something that is insignificant and wasteful, he still looks at it from a different perspective. He sees where you're going, not just where you're at. But then what he also reminded me is that there is no rain above the clouds. That the only person on any throne that is significant is him above it. And so he encouraged me and he pushed me. And thank you, Elevation Worship, for writing great music to stir me up and inspire me that I will look up because there is no one above you. I will look behind and see that you are faithful and I'll look forward. Because of who you were, I know that's who you'll be. You are faithful. You are never changing. You are ever present. And if you were faithful then, you'll be faithful there. You were able. And he gave me an anthem for my life. My question is, what is your anthem? Because if it's Taylor Swift, it won't help. If it's Netflix, it won't help. I'm not saying you got to throw out everything. But you might have to mine out something. You might have to discard others. But you need to develop a playlist. Again, this is more than just music. But you need to begin to curate moments that God has spoken and has moved. And if you can't do it for yourself, let others encourage you. If you feel like, man, I'm the one in the cave. I'm not David. I don't have a sword in my hand. I'm the one on the run in debt and afraid for my life. Allow the worship of others to inspire you. What I love is that this camp that we were at, there were some people who felt like they couldn't sing. Like, that's not my truth. I, I don't know God like that. He hasn't showed up that way. And what, what we were encouraged was to, when we can't sing that, open your ears and allow others to inspire you, to help you believe that that could be also possible for you. Again, a good worship habit will not save you, but it will help. What is the anthem of your life? Because not only do you need it for you, so many others need it as well. Your anthem will inspire you know, there's nothing worse than a person who complains. I have a hard time sometimes looking in the mirror because there's just something about my personality that I, I, I tend to look on the negative part of things first. I'm not risk adverse, but I just kind of look at situations and I can see very clearly why they won't work. Anybody have that blessing? Anybody? Anyone? We call it object objective thinking. <laughs> risk management. We're the best critics, not just of what God is doing in others' lives, but mostly in ours. And what I find in my life that I've been wrestling with is being able to be hope-filled so that I can be hopeful. So that when the moment of frustration or opposition comes or there is something to be concerned about, my number one thing isn't to point out why it won't work but I can actually go to God with a solution. Who has the solution? I don't, I don't have the solution, but God does. 
in my, my mantra or my, my speaking rather than discouraging the people around me from believing that God can move significantly if I'm hope-filled and then my mouth is hopeful, it will inspire them that God can move not just in that moment but for whatever moment that they're hoping for as well. And the reason why you need an anthem to inspire others is because they're looking for it. The Bible tells us, I've said this last week, I'll say it a thousand times anytime I have a microphone, that he places us in the cities that he's placed us in that perhaps we would reach out and find him. And so when we find him and we reach out in the cave or in the castle, wherever it is that we are, and we find him and we begin to sing praise and worship and we allow what he has done before and allow what he's doing right now to move us in the leadership capacity that he's called us to as disciples who teach others the ways of God and the teachings of God, that they themselves will also believe that he can give them hope and victory couple last thoughts. Abel, if you could just come up. It's a little sooner than expected. But I have to get in a car and drive six hours to Moose Lake. I don't even know where it is. <laughs> How you bleed matters. Can I tell you? Um, last week, it was wild. You know, we're witnessing all these healing moments. And... Um, you ever just felt like you weren't as good as you thought you were as a believer, right? Like that maybe that the faith you proclaim to have isn't as big and wide as you think that it is. Am I alone? Or Nick, you with me? We're witnessing all these healings, multiple healings over a couple weeks. And I'm driving to the camp from a Tim Hortons run. It wasn't so blessed. It was Tim Hortons, but it wasn't for me. It was for others. And um, hopeful for the service that I was headed back to, I got stuck in a little bit of traffic. Now, it's not traffic that I'm used to, so it was moving quicker, but it was traffic nonetheless. And you ever just get super frustrated and you're kind of trying to, like, navigate the car around what's in front of you to see what's happening? You're like, why is this taking so long? Right? I saw a moose for the first time, so maybe it was that. Or there was a deer. Or somebody was, like, petting the rabbits, I don't, I don't know. You never know. It's somebody's usually on their phone or there's a whopper on their face. and There's no reason for it. Except as I got closer to the diversion that we were going around, there was a man laying on the street. He had his upper clothing off and he was laying face down. That's a strange sight. You get a little closer and you realize there's a motorcycle glass everywhere. There are people running across the road with cell phones. And we had just mit, wit, missed witnessing a terrible accident. And we got through it and thought, man, that's terrible. It looked awful. I began to pray and he said, God, I pray that you heal him. And in my head, I just began to feel like this torment of, where's your faith? Why didn't you get out and stop and pray for him? Isn't this what you say you believe in? How are you going to go and lead all these young people and you can't even do the simple thing like pulling over for the sake of time? Because you couldn't miss pre-service prayer and you didn't want the iced coffees to, to melt. You couldn't stop. You ever had that moment where Satan begins to 
play with your mind and frustrate you about the decisions that you're making in the season that you're in. And as I was driving, I just kind of repented quietly and allowed God to remind me of the other moments that he had used me. And what it did was it pushed me to a place where I was actually confident to be able to lead in a moment. And that night he gave me a word that I believe that it, it set some people free. It was an incredible time. But I say that where you bleed matters because when I think of that man laying on the street, unless he's in the hands of someone who can rescue him, no amount of praying is actually going to help. Bar a miracle, and we believe that God still does miracles. If he bleeds the wrong way in the wrong place and the wrong person is there to try and help him, he will die. But in the hands of the medic, in the hands of a physician, right place not on the street but in the care of an ambulance and their attendants and in the care of a hospital and their attendants his injuries can actually become whole and you can have a story to tell on the other side and when you and I don't have an anthem and we do not rely on the history that we have with God to inform us of who we are and where we're going and we choose not to have praise and worship on our lips. Instead, we communicate our brokenness and bleed on others. And we pass our discouragement on and our, our disenfranchisement with, with the church and with our spouse and with our kids. And we begin to speak death in the season that we're in. We can't lead those others to hope. That person's kids won't come to Jesus if you complain about your kids. But if you claim Bible says that if you train up a child in the way he should go, he will return. You will be reminded and you will remember and you declare the Holy Spirit's promises through scripture over your workplace instead of damning it. And you, you see where I'm going with this. If you speak life, it will beget life. If you speak death, it will beget death. And you have no idea, the person in that cubicle, who God could turn them into. But who are the next great leaders of the kingdom of heaven for this planet? You live all around them. You work with them. They just don't know it yet. And the praise on your tongue, the worship of your life will either lead them to significant hope or you will lead them to death. Just everyone with your head bowed and eyes closed, if you could do that as a moment of just reflection and respect for those that are around you. Again, I don't know what has brought you here today or exactly where you live on the spectrum of hope. But I believe that you're here and that it matters. And I believe that he is here and he is able. And that's you, you just say, hey, I'm, I feel like I'm on the run. I feel like I'm in a cave. I don't know how I got here. I don't know why I have to stay here. It seems to be taking a lot longer than I thought it would. But I need the Holy Spirit to give me some courage. I need an anthem for my life. I need to know that in this season I might feel lonely, but I'm not alone. I happen to be by myself, but I'm actually surrounded by others. And I just need God to speak to me today. I just want you to raise your hand. No one's looking around. Whether you have been at this church for as long as you have or it's your first time maybe you don't have a relationship with God the invitation is still the same 
wherever we find ourselves, I believe that God wants to give us a song. He wants to change our perspective. That there's great hope from here forward. If that's you, just, just raise your hand. I just want to pray for you real quick. God, thank you for every hand raised. What I'm thankful is that the Bible is clear that your arm is not too short to reach us. And wherever we find ourselves, and regardless of the situation, I pray that you'd give us exactly what we are looking for. God, I pray that we'd be hope-filled, that you'd give us words to sing over our life and words to sing over the lives of others. Where it doesn't feel fair and it doesn't feel just, Lord, we know that you are kind and compassionate, that your love endures forever, that there is mercy every single day. And I just pray that we'd be overwhelmed with a sense of your presence and your love. At the beginning, Lord, we asked for power, and I pray that you would deposit power in every life, that they would be encouraged and strengthened in you, regardless of where they find themselves today, you are kind. So we love you for that. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. What I'm going to ask is this, that we together, we would declare. And it may not be your anthem today, but let it be your anthem in this moment. I'm just going to ask you to stand all around this room. We're just going to sing together. I believe that as we sing, the faith that comes by hearing will be deposited in your life. pray that you'd have a blessed week and that um, again, in your cave your anthem would be one that inspires hope in others for yourself Thanks for listening to us today For more information about who we are head over to myjourney.church or look for us on your favorite social media outlet